welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Kroll, and this is episode number 29 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be changing things up just a little bit and talking about Disney partnerships. More specifically, we're going to discuss some of the acquisitions that Disney has made over the last 10 years and even going back further than that. You might know that Disney has over the years acquired many different companies that have given Disney the ability to create new experiences in the parks to create new movie experiences for us as well. Some of those uh, companies that Disney has acquired over the years include Pixar and Marvel and of course Lucasfilm and most recently the acquisition of Fox, which is going to present so many new opportunities for the Walt Disney Company, for the Disney parks to do new and amazing things and create new experiences for guests across across Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and the other international parks. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite Disney partnerships and acquisitions, and more specifically, those acquisitions' implications when it comes to the Disney parks and our experience visiting Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and again, the international parks as well. At the end of the show, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast across all our different social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. impacts the parks and all of Disney for that matter is whenever Disney either partners with another organization or company or taking that a step further when they go so far as to acquire Disney uh, acquire other companies and other organizations um, within the media industry and within other areas as well so it's something that I've talked about quite a bit with uh, several Disney friends and whenever there's Disney news that comes out, and especially lately with the whole news around Fox, there's just a lot of implications, and we get excited to talk about it. So I thought it would be useful for us to talk about some of the implications that Disney's acquisitions and partnerships have had in the parks. And to do that, I've brought back onto the show someone who hasn't been on in way too long, who is my cousin, Mike. So welcome back to the show, Mike. Thanks, Matt. And I know you've got a fancy new microphone on your end as well. I do. This is the the, uh, debut for this mic, in fact. Yes, on the Imagineer podcast. That's awesome. Good test run for what I know you're planning to do, which is also great. Oh, yes. Um, And when you get that up and running, I think we'll have to plug it on on this show. Yeah, we'll definitely have to come up with some fun ideas of of, uh, integrating the two together in some form or fashion. Yeah. Uh, I'll give a teaser for those who are listening, but uh, Mike is starting up his own podcast in a completely different universe from Disney, but there are some overlaps, so I think there might be opportunities for us to work together, uh, as you said, so should be fun. 
of yeah, things one of the things that I've never done, Mike, with you on the show, because uh, it's still relatively new, is my favorite lightning round for new guests, um, where it gives listeners the chance to learn a little bit more about you and what you love about Disney. I know in the past we've talked about you're growing up at Disney and going to Disney a lot and how you and I have always shared that affinity for um, you know Disney properties and movies and, and parks and everything. So uh, lightning rounds could be a little bit more specific where I'll ask your favorite Disney um, topics across uh, a, a few different range of subjects. So I'm going to start by asking what your favorite Disney park is. Oh, no question, Epcot. I it's think, like the, uh, you know, I listen to your podcast too. It's usually the <laughs> default of everybody, yeah, but exactly. it's so true. Even to this day, Epcot still has a very special place in my heart. There, There is a... Uh, there's nothing quite like when you're driving into the park and the first time you see Spaceship Earth, especially when you get down there, like nothing beats that to yeah. this day. No, that's true. And I, I, you know, I try very hard to think about other uh, Disney parks as well because I find that Epcot's so popular. So I did, I have moved to like Disney's Animal Kingdom as being my favorite, but Epcot's such a staple. It's hard, hard to argue with that. Um, what about your favorite Disney attraction? Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye in Disneyland. Wow, that's a good one. Um, yeah, you know that's a that very one, different answer. It, yeah, well, you know what? It's one of those rides where I can ride that ride at least a dozen times and never get tired of it. And I always feel like a twelve-year-old kid, especially when I go through that queue line. I'm the I'm the guy who like uh, cautiously avoids the different things that are in the queue, like the little <laughs> traps and things like that. I always play with things, and and the ride itself is just it's just amazing. Like I really immerse myself into that ride because it's just it's so perfect. It has a, the perfect amount of action to it and uh, suspense, and everything about that ride is just spot on. And um, yeah, no question to me is my favorite ride. Yeah, it's um. I know what you mean. It's it's just one of those real. It's it's become a classic Disney attraction for sure. Um, but it's funny, you know. Most people talk about uh, Flight of Passage being their favorite these days. So it's refreshing to have something a little different. As amazing as Flight of Passage is, um, and you could you could tell that you're from the West Coast because you picked a Disneyland attraction. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, but you know what? Honestly, even when I went on it for the first time when I was still living in New York, it ended up being my favorite attraction. Awesome. It was one of the few that really wowed me, and. Flight of Passage also wowed me, too. I mean, it, I haven't been wowed in an attraction like that in a very, very long time, so that's still saying something. Uh, but it, it's hard to compare the two, but it's Indiana Jones that just had this charm to it that uh, I didn't really get out of Flight of Passage, even as miraculous as that ride is. So yeah. I'm very curious on how uh, Flight of Passage itself uh, stands the test of time. I think so, too. And I've talked about when you look back on it in 10 years, is it going to be... Uh, similar to Soren, where back in the day, Soren was super innovative and everybody was jaw dropped, you know, for, for riding that attraction for the first time. It had those three hour waits. It was hard to get a fast pass for it. And then now when you ride it, it's got 30, 45 minute waits. Part of that is because they added the third theater, but it just doesn't have the same impact that it did back in 2001 or, or in Walt Disney World's case in 2005. Um, so I'm curious in like 10, 15 years, what people will say about Flight of Passage. So, um, let's move into your favorite Disney movie. Oh, geez. Um, now that's a hard one. I know. 
Is that including Pixar? That's including Pixar. It could also include live action and even Marvel and Star Wars. So I guess maybe that can make fair. it harder or easier. That's not <laughs> forget fair. you know forget Marvel and Star Wars. <laughs> Just anything Disney live action, uh, animated or Pixar. Okay. Oh geez. Um, I have to think about it a little bit more. Uh, Wally's definitely one of my favorite films. That's a good choice. Definitely. If if I was specifically Pixar, I would say Wally's definitely one of the top ones on my list. Outside of that. I mean, The Lion King is always a classic. That one I always love watching over and over again. You know, I have to probably, I might have to like look in, and see what I actually have on Blu-ray because that usually, usually that's a tell. But <laughs> well, yeah, I would say if 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 uh, I was have to make a decision right now, I would say that Wally would definitely be one of the top ones. And that's a great great choice. Um, I love how your answers are. You know, they're still popular movies, but they're not the most popular, which makes these answers really great. Um, with the exception of Epcot, like you said, this is the number one thing that everybody says is Epcot. But uh, I, I can't help myself on that yeah. one. I will. I will say this too. As far as I can, actually, I can limit it down. But then, if I had to pick one, this would be hard. Pixar, I would say Wally, and uh, Disney animated was is a uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ooh, that's you know that's a really good choice. It's it's one of those '90s classic movies that is a little underrated actually but yeah an absolute an amazing movie um for those of you who haven't watched it in a while you definitely need to go back and watch it again because it's a just incredible movie i, I love the characters it, they took a lot of chances with that film too um even as a kid i appreciate the fact of how it wasn't um the very stereotypical story that disney likes to tell they did take some chances with this one and uh the music in that it, to this day is by far some of my favorite songs yeah i agreed and this is the hardest question that i ask so and to be fair like i typically go back and forth and i even hesitated with this one at first so i guess the best way to answer this one is like the first character that comes to your mind with your favorite disney character you know I'm going to have to go with the classic is Mickey. That's the exact route I went when I had to answer that question too. Yeah, Mickey, ahead. Mickey's the, 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 the baddest one of all of them, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he, he's the leader, you know, if you go off to the song, but anyway, but like he, he's the one who's not only did he start everything, but I just always loved his character over the years. You know, he's always been a very, a very strong character, a very strong willed character and has a lot of heart to him. Um, in comparison to other Disney characters. So for that reason, uh, I always admired Mickey as a character. Yeah, he's, like you said, the leader of the club. He's iconic. He's the reason that Disney has the success that it has today, uh, at least why it did get to the point of, of a global phenomenon. So I, I have to agree. Mickey is the, the character um, and still at 90 years old stands the test of time. And I just love the evolution of Mickey, where especially in the earlier days, he was a little bit more silly and rambunctious. And then as his character progressed, he, you know, one of my favorite parts is actually from uh, the attraction uh, Phil Har Magic in uh, Magic Kingdom. And one of the things about Mickey is the fact that he's the conductor of the orchestra that Donald basically takes over for those that, that's all I'll say for those who have never done the attraction. But the he's set up as such an authority figure in that way and you know in, you know include and everything that he does to command the orchestra and even with everything from the sorcerer's hat he's just he's just a force and that's what i like about that character is he's he's a true force of good yeah he is 
It's uh, he's one of the iconic characters in just American history. So exactly. So let's talk about some of these partnerships and acquisitions. I think there's obviously a lot that Disney has uh, done over the years, especially since Disneyland opened in 1955. In fact, one of my favorite stories is how the uh, ABC Capital Cities was a sponsor of Disneyland and helped to financially support Disney. And then in the 90s, in uh, 1995, when that uh, when Capital Cities ABC was struggling financially, Disney came in and acquired them um, for $19 billion, I think is the total, uh, from what research I saw, that uh, the total value of that acquisition. Um, so with that, obviously, there's a lot that happened with, the, with, the t- with TV and movies. But even beyond that, there are so many acquisitions that we've seen and partnerships uh, going as back going back to like Pixar and Marvel and Lucasfilm, obviously are some of the more recent ones. Um, Disney also recently acquired BAMTech, which is going to help with their streaming service. that's going to be coming out next year. Um, for you, what do you find to be, and then we'll, we'll definitely talk about all the implications in the parks, but what do you find to be the most impactful um, or significant partnership or acquisition that, and I guess these are specific acquisitions that Disney has, um, you know, gone through over, uh, over the years? Hmm. That's an interesting question. It's a hard question. General electric, <laughs> general, general electric. electric. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. All no. the sponsorships with uh, carousel of progress. Uh, and, um, horizons. They, horizons. That's right. I was like, there's another one. Um, yep, no, no, uh, seriously. Uh, I would say to, to date, I would probably say Marvel. I think it was one of the largest ones that they they bet big on, and they definitely really really paid off on that one. I mean, it's just now a cash juggernaut for that company. So I would say Marvel at at this point in time. I would say honestly, Marvel probably even bigger than Lucasfilm at this point. To yeah, be honest. yeah, definitely. As far as return from from the box office, uh, they've they've had a lot of success with Marvel. So it's hard to argue with that one. I, you know, I think Marvel's a great acquisition as well. The one that I go back to is also Pixar because we've gotten so many. I mean, Marvel and Star Wars were acquired and a lot of those characters. Sure, we have some new characters that came into existence, but a lot of those characters, especially in Marvel, already existed. So, you know, it was great that Disney has now the rights to use these characters in different capacities and it all is under the Disney umbrella and it's, it's great content uh, for, for Disney and great intellectual property for Disney. But I find that with Pixar, part of that acquisition was acquiring the talent that was going to create new movies and characters. And since that acquisition we've had, uh, and that was back in 2006. So, I mean, before that toy story was already around, uh, Bugs Life was already around, even Monsters, Inc. was already around. But since 2006, we've seen so many new Pixar movies that have come into existence that were not even part of that deal originally. So part of it, in my mind, is just acquiring that talent. And Disney and Pixar fit so perfectly together that you almost don't even remember that they were at one point separate, that Pixar was its own entity. I mean, when you think Pixar, this these days, you really do think about Disney. Marvel and Star Wars... You definitely think about Disney now because of all the money Disney spent to acquire Marvel and Star Wars, and you know that they're 
making new movies since all are part of that Disney umbrella. But um, I find that, you know, the Pixar Disney marriage was so seamless and made so much sense uh, and just had so many create creative decisions and uh, characters and movies that came out because of that. I 100% agree. In fact, when it comes to Pixar, the other thing to keep in mind, too, I think you really nailed it on the head as far as the talent that came on board for Disney. If you think about it, before 2006, Disney was still in trouble for a while. Uh, you know, ever since the late, you know, going from the late 90s into the early 2000s, they were not doing well at all. And the talent that they brought on board because of acquiring Pixar was a huge fundamental shift uh, on every level for Disney. Uh, look at Disney Animation Studios and what they're doing now in comparison to what they were doing before. Uh, everything, even if you go down the line of everything they've done, the parks have seen a huge change. So it really helped Disney get out of this slump that they've been in for uh, quite some time. It was almost a five to ten year slump. Um, that they were in, and people didn't know what the fate of Disney was going to be at that point in time. And seeing them change to now is a whole new era for them. Ever since the late, you know, late two thousands into today. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's almost the you know it was the point where Pixar actually took creative control of Disney animation, where it wasn't like Disney animators saying, we're going to buy, you know, we're going to acquire Pixar and we're going to tell you how to make movies. It was, we're going to acquire Pixar so you can tell us how to make movies because clearly we're missing something here. Yeah. And I love that transition. In fact, it was in uh, Creativity Inc. Um, that they explained that, that when they, when they did acquire Pixar and Pixar started to uh, essentially supervise over the Disney animation team, they knew that you know they were they were new kids on the block and they didn't want to feel like they were taking over their jobs. They, and they also knew that they didn't want to make a, essentially a clone of Pixar. They knew that that was not going to work. So they made sure that the culture and the kind of films that they were telling in Disney animation was different than what the stories and the culture was in Pixar. And I thought that was such a brilliant move on their part to make sure that they are both doing things equally, but they each have their own uh, style that they're bringing to the table. Yeah, and the other thing that you uh, that you mentioned that is worth repeating is about that book, Creativity Inc. And I know you and I have both read it, and we we almost you know took notes on it together um, and talked about it. But I will share in the podcast notes the link to go purchase that book if you're if anyone listening is interested i definitely recommend it if you're interested in learning a little bit more about pixar and pixar's history and then the whole pixar disney marriage and even how steve jobs played a part a huge part in pixar's development and success and growth uh really really great read um so it's definitely definitely recommend uh checking it out. So thanks for mentioning it, Mike, because I almost forgot about that book. Oh, my pleasure. So now that we've, you know, obviously there's, we've kind of listed out a, a lot of the big acquisitions and there's, there's always, if you look up for a list of Disney acquisitions, there's, you know, dozens it, that go beyond this. These are just some of the ones that have had some huge implications and they're the ones that are very newsworthy that people talk about and that still has a, a huge impact in Disney's entire universe of content and intellectual property. And then part of that is, you know, even with something like Lucasfilm, that was a partnership that Disney had going back to the 80s, where even though they didn't have the ownership of Lucasfilm, there was a strong partnership between Disney and and Lucasfilm and George Lucas. 
And that brought us attractions like Star Tours and Indiana Jones Adventure, which I know, Mike, you said earlier is your favorite attraction. And, you know, that obviously has huge implications. But what do you think as far as, you know, we can go from from one acquisition, one acquisition to another. But um, as far as Lucasfilm, what how and that you're in, in your mind as a Disney fan, how does that play out in? what you've seen in the parks and do you notice a, a shift or a difference since Disney went from a, you know, a licensing agreement of Lucasfilm to uh, an acquisition and ownership of Lucasfilm. Star Wars is a huge part of that, but um, you know, for you, how have you seen as a Disney fan that whole uh, partnership and acquisition impact your experience with Disney at the parks and at the movies? Oh, immensely. You can you can tell there's just a gigantic machine that's not behind this in comparison to before, where it was more of like, you know, hey, we're kind of dating a little bit and we're seeing how things go. And this is cool because everyone's happy. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, now, no, we're married now. We're we're in on this. Like we're in this together. We're going all out. So you can tell like, how quickly things have changed in the in the parks and even the films that are coming out because you know Disney's behind it. So, I mean we're getting an entire star Wars land in two parks. And on top of that too, we have a whole immer- like one of the first Im- truly immersive resorts that's being built. That's all around star Wars. If I was a, you know, eight year old kid right now, if I was back to my eight year old self, I'll be flipping out right now <laughs> being able to literally be truly immersed in the star Wars universe. Yeah. That hotel we just had an Instagram live this morning where we were talking about that and the fact that it's truly a new category of resort experiences. I I don't know what the category name is quite yet, but I'm kind of quasi calling it experiential luxury resorts. Um, It's a step beyond deluxe resorts. And I think you're right. It's something that's so immersive that, um, we haven't experienced before and there's there's a little precedent to say what that's going to be like but it's going to have a a huge impact and i know that it's going to probably cost quite a bit to stay there um would that be something that you would uh you know how i guess how much would you be willing to spend to uh spend a night or two nights at that hotel as soon as i find out the price i might have to set up a separate bank account just so i can afford (laughs) to go there the star wars savings account uh I am definitely experiencing that one way or another at some point in time <laughs> in my life. I'm going at least once to doing that. And I'm definitely going to do the entire experience. I'm going to go. And if it's a two to three day adventure, that's all I'm going to do for those two to three days. Is just go to that resort and to Star Wars land and do all the missions and do everything. I, I don't care how old I am. I'm doing that. This sounds so amazing. The one thing I will say though is that if they start actually having androids on this thing, I, I, then I'm bowing out. Like that's that's the part where I'm like, all right, this is the things to come. <laughs> <laughs> this is now getting to Westworld territory, so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my chances and not go. That would be yeah, an entirely different level. I'm sh- I know there's gonna be some characters in there, but I don't think they're androids from what I understand. So definitely. <laughs> yeah, we're- we're safe for now. <laughs> yeah, we're safe for now. Uh, you know, if, if anyone's going to bring us to the, that level, it could be Disney. But I know that they're going to do it a little bit better than the, uh, I always forget the company's name in Westworld, um, Delos. But uh, it's 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 going to be, uh, yeah, I don't think we have to worry about that quite yet. But, uh, you know, beyond the hotel, there's also that, um, 
you know, elephant in the room that we haven't talked about with regards to Lucasfilm, and that is Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. That obviously, whenever we've found that whenever Disney now acquires something, there's usually some type of land that's coming soon. Um, Doesn't even have to be with acquisitions. And I have another land we definitely need to talk about. But, uh, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, we know that's opening up in 2019 in both Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, How how are you feeling about that? And, you know, I know there's two attractions that are coming. There's the... uh, uh, Millennium Falcon attraction where you're really going to get to pilot the Millennium Falcon and have there's going to be implications and consequences from how that whole mission uh, goes. And then you're also going to have that first order uh, attraction, battle attraction, where it's really going to put you in the middle of a battle between the resistance and the first order. They haven't said anything about the details of that attraction beyond that. Um, I'm really curious to see the technology that it comes to play, but what are some of your thoughts and uh, predictions for what Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is going to be like? Oh, I mean, I've seen the construction being built um, actually um, at both locations in both uh, Disney World as well as in Disneyland, and uh, I mean, I couldn't be more excited for it. It just looks absolutely gorgeous to the level of Harry Potter, uh, what Universal did for the uh, Harry Potter franchise. So for those reasons, I am beyond excited for what this is going to be built. I'm really intrigued by the Millennium Falcon ride. I, I don't know really too much of what to expect from it. Um, I don't know how much you're really involved with the decision making, or is it going to be more like Mission Space where you can flip the switch if you want, or if not, that's okay too. So I know there's consequences. I'm just very curious how those things play out. So I'm, you know, I'm very, very intrigued by far, but it's still for me a little too early to tell if how you know, what's really going to be like. The irony is that actually I'm more excited about the First Order attraction. I think that just because I saw the blueprints as far as the space that they're allocating for, and it looks ginormous. And so for that reason, I am extremely excited for this attraction. The one thing I'm just really hoping that they don't do, uh, because it has been a little bit of a trend, is that it's just a gigantic room of big video screens and nothing else to it. To me, that will will lose its appeal. But to be perfectly honest, it's what I would hope it's going to be is like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Shanghai. If it's like that, I am stoked. Is that your prediction for the technology that might be yeah. present? I mean, obviously yeah, it's not I, a boat ride, but... No, I think it's going to be... my. If, if I was to guess, I would say it would be a track a trackless ride that is going to have um, integrated into it set pieces and animatronics with gigantic uh, screens. So that makes it look like... So that it looks like that you're actually on the battlefield and you see some of the star, the famous Star Wars vehicles that are around you in, in as actual set pieces. And then you have, you know, animatronic stormtroopers and things like that um, around you. But then in the background in different er- areas are these gigantic screens to really feel like you're immersed and that there's, you know, you know, X-Wing fighters flying overhead and, you know, all those kind of things, you know, around you as you're going through this battlefield. Yeah, I I think, first of all, for the Millennium uh, Falcon attraction, I think there is going to, it's definitely going to be more involved than Mission Space. 
Uh, I've actually, you know, based on some of the concept art I've seen more recently, I I do believe that you are going to have a lot more control over what happens. And of course, there's going to be parameters like any other attraction. You can't do literally anything and there's timing that's involved and, you know, no one can go on an hour long mission because you've got guests in line behind you. But I do think there's going to be for sure elements and perhaps even the decisions that you make are still going to fall within the same time parameters where if you go this direction, you know, you're the Millennium Falcon is is seized by something. And, I, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to your point, but I do think there's going to be a lot of element of control. And then the other thing you mentioned about the size of that first order attraction. So I on the on a, my most recent trip uh, to Disney, uh, to Walt Disney World, we went through the uh, Hollywood Studios entrance from World Drive, and that takes you, you know, behind Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I was just shocked at how large those buildings are because you see it on the map and you see it in some of the aerial photos, and you're like, yeah, those are big buildings. But then you go and you see it in person, and it's tremendous. It's it's so big, it's hard to describe, and it's really hard to get a, a good grasp on how large it is, but then you look at a construction worker or an Imagineer standing next to the building, you're like, this is, like, that's going to be me inside the building. This is huge. There's going to be so much, and I, I hope that you're right in the sense that we're not going to have only screens, and I, I do believe that we'll have some combination of the two. So, I personally, I'm a little uh, worried about the... Um, you know, the motion sickness element of it, but that's why I'm going to let other people ride it first and <laughs> wait yeah, to see yeah, what it's like. Get them to be the guinea pigs. And exactly. Then you can try it. Exactly. Later. In, in, and also in comment on regards to how large the building is. Now, obviously things can change, but the blueprints that I saw or the layout that they showed um, a long, long time ago, I think last year, I actually looked at the map and realized, uh, holy geez, this thing is just as big as Toontown to yep. give everyone a comparison. So to the entire Toontown section in Disneyland, that's just the building. When I saw that, it's I said, crazy. this is, this is on hold. This is a next level thing that's going on here. It's crazy. Absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I know everybody's excited. I know that people are already lined up on I four just to get into the, and get into star Wars galaxy's edge. Cause the line, there's so many memes out there of how long that line's going to be just to get in, uh, I don't even know unless you're at the press event. I, I don't know how, you know, how you're going to be able to get in. Um, you're going to have to commit an entire day just to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, if you're visiting on vacation. Um, just like to your point earlier with with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, that's what you had to do as well. Yep, that's right. I mean, I think getting in was a few hours just to get inside the area, wasn't it? When it first opened? Yeah, I think there was legitimately a six hour wait just to get in. And yeah, then you have the crazy. waits for the attractions and everything else. So it's literally an entire day of of waiting and just hoping to get in. And, uh, you know, I I would like to see it that early. But at the same time, I don't mind waiting a little bit, <laughs> even a few months, just to not have to worry about devoting an entire day to it. If I were a local, the story would be a little different. But vacation time is precious, so... <laughs> Um, it's something that I'll have to balance out and see how long it, it really will be to get in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll probably, at least for Disney World, I'll probably wait it out. But unfortunately, Disneyland's not too far away from where I live. So yeah. uh, that that's a little bit different story. But I'll probably like see how things go. Then when the timing's right, make a trip out there and I'll, I'll, I'll swing over there and see what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what it's going to do for the lines for Star Tours, too. Like, is it is it going to... I feel so bad for Star Tours. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, though, because uh, I don't know the last time that you rode uh, Star Tours, but uh, I think it was, uh you went to Disney World recently, didn't you? Yes, we didn't ride Star Tours, but yes. Okay, so uh, they what they did actually in Disneyland, I thought was interesting, is right now, at least the time that I went, they defaulted the scenes to the new ones. So they did the one for Force Awakens and the one for The Last Jedi. And the one for The Last Jedi, there's a little uh, queue in there uh, for Galaxy's Edge. So they're really integrating Star Tours into Galaxy's Edge right now and really pushing that forward. So I think they're trying to do that so that it's still part of the land in some way even though it, it, it is in a separate section of the park. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Um, that's, that's pretty cool that they're doing that. And uh, time will tell to see what happens to the rest of the park and to start tours. I, obviously, it's going to make everything a lot more crowded, but it's also going to expand the area quite a bit. So um, I think the entire experience is going to be amazing. Um, and it is amazing that that was all just for Lucasfilm. So let's talk about, because um, there's there's so many others. Let's go actually to Pixar, because I think this one is, is pretty simple. Obviously, there were attractions that featured Pixar before there was the acquisition. And I think even, you know, Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin was definitely pre-2006. I don't remember off the top of my head when that attraction was around. But certainly since Disney has acquired Pixar, we're seeing this evolution of Pixar in the parks. And we even have, uh, you know, we did see Pixar Place come into existence in the mid-2000s and at uh, Disney's MGM Studios and then Disney's Hollywood Studios. And then we saw the uh, most recently um, Pixar Pier and Toy Story Land. Um, you know, again, as a, as a Disney fan and a Pixar fan, uh, number one, especially because Wally's your favorite movie, are you still pulling out for a uh, still hoping for a Wally attraction? And then, what do you think about the uh, the Pixar additions to Disney parks? As far as Wally attractions concerned, I think that time has come and passed. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah. it was a, it's, it's such a I love that film so much, but it really didn't re- take off as an iconic film in comparison to some of the other ones that are out there. So, um. So I, I'm not sure uh, as that's concerned. I really don't know Wally right at this point. I think I think time has passed too much for it to really make sense anymore. And I'm OK with that. I don't, it's not like, I, you know, oh, I really want to ride on Wally or something like that. You know, I mean, I just love the, the film. Yeah. I'm just really happy that they made some they made some attraction for the Incredibles. I think that was one of the more obvious ones. I still think it was a little late in the whole process. I, it should have happened when Incredibles was first, you know, the first one came out. But I'm really excited that they actually did do something with it uh, in uh, Pixar Pier. So I was really, really happy about that. I'm really excited to see what else they have in mind. I know that they're still working on an Inside Out attraction, if I'm correct. Yes, there is the Inside Out attraction at Pixar Pier, but it's not a large scale. I think there were some it's just uh, I forgot attraction it replaced. But yeah, there is it's one of those um, the smaller attractions at Pixar Pier. But they there have been and this is maybe an area where we can speculate. And I know you and I love to discuss 
uh, what is possible. But there are two rumors for Walt Disney World in particular when it comes to additions from the Pixar universe. Um, obviously, you know, Toy Story Land was one that came to fruition. It's an amazing area. Just saw it for the first time earlier this month. Such a cool experience. Um, but the two that I'm thinking of are uh, Inside Out replacing Journey into Imagination. And number two is Monsters, Inc. Uh, replacing Rock and Roller Coaster as, a, as an e-ticket coaster experience. Both, I should add for anyone listening, both complete rumors. There's like nothing specific that's backing those uh, rumors right now. It's just something that we've heard for a while as a possibility, and Disney fans have have uh, speculated what that might be like. But you know, what do you think about uh, you know? Could you see Inside Out replacing Imagination? Would that fit? And then specifically for Monsters Inc., could you see that replacing Rock and Roller Coaster? Maybe having a Doors Roller Coaster come to us that we've always wanted. As far as, okay, so I'll do the easiest one first, actually, for me. Go for uh, it. For Inside Out, replacing Journey to Imagination. And also, mind you, that Journey to into Imagination, if that actually also is one of my favorite attractions of all time. But not the current one, the original, the original yeah. one, just and to make sure glory. everyone's clear. <laughs> yes. You mean you don't the like the second one, one the, the, the middle version? <laughs> oh, you mean Journey into Your Imagination? Yeah, oh, yeah, I love that one. <laughs> When it had absolutely nothing to do with Figman, he was just <laughs> there, like as like a oh yeah, remember guys this this iconic ca- attraction character that's near to impossible to do. Yeah, we're just gonna throw him in the background. That's smart. <laughs> they corrected that. Um, yeah, so at least with the recent version, is it it has, you know, I liked how they brought back the song and Figman has is now much more prominent into the ride and so forth. But it's still it's one of those things where it's like. I'm going on the ride going, okay, this is fun, but I miss the old days where, you know, the original attraction. So it's one of those bittersweet moments. So for me, if they decided to replace it with an ins- uh, with um, Inside Out instead, I think it's a great idea because it keeps it keeps with the theme of imagination and they can do it in a whole new way and a whole new fresh way. So for me, actually, I would be very excited if they did something like that. I think it's time for Journey into Imagination to finally rest at this point in time or maybe you know integrate figment in some other form or fashion i mean there's no reason why they couldn't even include figment into an inside out attraction there's no reason why they can't so yeah you know that would be an interesting way of keeping figment alive but i think at this point in time it would be nice to see it get some love and i i I couldn't think of a better way than doing it justice than incorporating something like inside out and really making a truly unique attraction out of that so that's what i have to say about that as far as monster inc replacing rock and roller coaster that one i'm really like i love rock and roller coaster to death so my immediate reaction is no 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 don't touch that (laughs) but also let's face it too how relevant is aerosmith i love aerosmith but are they really relevant anymore maybe they're still touring i think but yeah they have the residency in vegas that's coming yeah, up. They, they, yeah, that, that's right. They had the residency in Vegas. So, I mean, they're still sort of relevant, but they're also an aging band. So for for those purposes, that also could theoretically make sense. But it's such – that is oh, – I don't know. I, I want your opinion on this too is, you know, Rock and Roller Coaster in Hollywood Studios. Is that – has that become a classic attraction or is it showing its age? 
I would like to believe it's a classic because it's one of my favorites. And I, you know, I find that every year it's, it's, it's almost a ticking time bomb. And I hate to say that because I, I, if I were sitting in Disney's shoes, it's a piece, it's an e-ticket attraction that is licensed to essentially Aerosmith that is, you're right. It's not, I mean, not everybody, I think a lot of people, myself included, came to love Aerosmith because of the attraction, but they are, you know, you don't hear, unless you're listening to a classic rock station, you're not really going to hear Aerosmith on the radio. So for a while, I know there were rumors that they might replace it with something Disney Channel related, which I was not thrilled about, but then, you know, it could be, it doesn't have to be themed to music, um, it could definitely be themed to a uh, Pixar or even I, I know they can't really technically do that right now, but even a Marvel themed attraction. And honestly, especially after what they announced for Disneyland Paris, it's now going to start construction in 2019 with them replacing Rock and Roller Coaster with the uh, this Iron Man experience that will have the same track layouts and everything, but with more, uh, you know, an Iron Man theme instead. I think that makes sense and is a nice compromise because it still is a great e-ticket attraction. And I think the attraction itself is what people love about it. I don't know if it's Aerosmith specifically, if it were somebody else, another band, another property. There are always going to be people who are going to say, you know, I never want it changed, but. I think it really could go through a transformation and still maintain its core thrill level, but be themed to something else. So that's kind of my two cents on it. What I like to see, I know this is going a little sideways off of acquisitions, but what I, well, not actually, not really. Um, for Rock and Roller Coaster itself, what I actually would love to see is almost what Universal did with Rip Ride Rocket. And with that attraction, you can actually select what song you want to play while you're writing. Yeah. And I think that would be a really cool way of transitioning it, where it's still rock and roll, co- rock and roller coaster. They'll have to change up the the story a little bit so that it in- integrates where it's not all all about just Aerosmith. Now they can certainly have Aerosmith in there, but then have maybe like ACDC or some other bands that are that you can select from. So it would be a nice way to give a little bit of a refreshment to the ride where now you have like a touchscreen where you can actually select what track you want to play on your ride and then integrate that within the story of making it make sense. I think for me, that would be a fun way of still keeping the essence of what rock and roll coaster is all about, but give it a little bit of a fresh take on that. Not to mention what I want things to keep in mind, especially for, you know, classic rock songs, you know, one of the reasons why it had a, such a resurgence, it was from guitar hero. So a lot Very of people, true. Came, came to find out about these songs through Guitar Hero, just as though, you know, we found out about Aerosmith through the rock and roll, uh, through rock and roll coaster. So I'd love to see now that Guitar Hero really doesn't have as much relevance anymore as it used to. I would love to see rock and roll coaster essentially take that torch a little bit and be able to introduce people to some classic rock songs through an attraction, through a roller coaster, essentially. Yeah, Mike, I love that idea. And I think for me, it's sort of, th- I'm thinking about, test track in a way where before the experience was completely dictated for you and sure the ride itself is always going to be the same experience but in the current version you create your own car and you're competing with other 
guests and vehicles to see whose car performs the best. And there's an, is an, there is an element of education involved, which is pretty close to Epcot's original vision of ent- edutainment. And there could be something with Rock and Roller Coaster that I think, I'm hoping some Imagineers are listening, where you, w- you would have that ability to create that experience. There is more of that immersion in, you know, sort of deciding upon the fate of uh, how your experience turns out. And it could be even as much as learning a little bit more about music and maybe inspiring some future kids who are riding it to go into the music industry or, um, you know, to want to become artists and still have a thrilling experience from it. But, uh, you know, have a get to learn a little bit something about music and be able to sort of create different experiences for yourself that gives it a real rewritability factor. Absolutely. And also, if anybody from the Disney marketing team is listening, this is a great way to introduce people to a new act that you might sign to the record label that you guys have. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. So true. So true. We keep the business side in, in picture all the time as well. <laughs> yes, that's important always. Um, and then I want to go back earlier, Mike, to what you said about Journey to Imagination. I you know, I agree with you that the original journey into imagination was that, uh, you know, was a signature attraction at Epcot and was so iconic and is still one of my favorites to this day. But it it is getting to that point, almost like the backlot tour where they kept cutting off different pieces of it here and there. And eventually it just is a reminder of what used to be and not necessarily an attraction that you go to for itself. And so I like Journey to Imagination because of it, it reminds me of the old attraction, not necessarily because I like the current version the way it is. So, yes, it would make sense. And I hate to say this, but I feel like it, the same goes true for Figment, where Figment is a character that's slowly being phased out. And he's moved into the category of Easter egg and less into the category of iconic Disney character. And that's why I was really happy to see him appear in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout as an Easter egg. I think that's a really cool addition. But even something as simple as the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, he used to be the, um, the, the signature character uh, for the Food and Wine Festival. And now that's shifted over to Remy, which personally I think makes more sense. And especially with them adding the Ratatouille attraction to the France Pavilion, it, it just makes complete logical sense. And I love Remy to have Remy be the uh, center, you know, the core character for uh, Epcot Food and Wine Festival. Figment made some sense with the sense of like what you can imagine can come to be with food and wine, but um, Remy makes more sense. So bottom line, I think both the attraction and its signature character of figments are moving into the category of Easter egg and Disney extinct attraction history. Um, so I could easily see them replacing that with inside out or something else. I, I agree with that, but I also think that there is a way to reintroduce figment to a whole new generation by incorporating fig- the figment character into inside out. Because it, uh, to me, when you were talking about the rumors, I realized that actually is an amazing fit and not to mention that it creates a whole new story. So in, to include the inside-out characters that now are introduced to Figment, and now fi- that that is causing the story, you know, it's causing some sort of conflict, whatever it is, of Figment taking these inside-out characters on this journey in your mad, you know, inside your your head, essentially inside your imagination. To me, I think that interaction would make a really, really fun attraction out of it. 
because of that reason. And because Figment, it's, it's not just about the fact that it's, it's a classic character, but Figment's character in general is just a fun character. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's childish. He's, you know, rambunctious. He's silly. Like those, you know, he's, you know, big thinking. And I think because of those reasons, you know, I would say that it's such an asset for Disney right now that to leave him to be an Easter egg, I think is so underserved of what he could be, especially when they have something like inside out that they're already considering making uh, attraction out of. All I can say is I hope you're right. <laughs> and I do agree. Me too. Yeah. Um, so I, there's so much with Pixar and obviously we just talked about rumors and, you know, like I said, there's a lot that's come into play with attractions, Toy Story Mania, Pixar Pier with the Incredicoaster and everything else that came to that, um, Toy Story Land. And there's going to be a lot more, there's even an Incredibles meet and greet experience coming to Pixar Pier, uh, in 2019 at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But for the sake of, I think we probably could spend an entire episode talking about Pixar, and we have, and you have been on that episode. But um, it's true. <laughs> but um, for the sake of of talking about some others, the other big one, um, and there's a couple small ones to quickly chat about. The other big one is Marvel, and there's certainly, obviously, the, the biggest implication has been with the films, and there's a lot more that's going to be done with Marvel, and I could see it, the strategy already shifting, and they're going to start. Um, maybe, you know, maybe not completely moving away from Avengers, but transforming into something new. But then even in the parks, the implications there, unfortunately, applies more to the, or at least unfortunately for us East Coasters, applies more to the international parks and to Disneyland than it does to Walt Disney World because of the whole uh, conflict with Universal. And I'm hoping that will eventually resolve itself. But, you know, even for those in Walt Disney World, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster coming into Epcot. We have Marvel Lands being built over at Disneyland. There was already an Iron Man experience over at uh, Hong Kong Disney, and we have a um, you know the Iron Man attraction replacing Rock and Roller Coaster at Disneyland Paris. Uh, in addition to Marvel expansions there, and then even I've heard rumors that there might be some potential Marvel themed experience in the Middle East that might even come into play. Um, that is, again, still very speculative and a big rumor at this point, but I could certainly see. So for you, you know, how has Marvel transformed your experience as a Disney fan going to the parks, especially Disneyland? You know, it's a funny thing. I, I think it's still too early to tell. They, they've only started to integrate it into the parks at this point in time, and some things I find really exciting but the same token also slightly silly at times like for example they did uh when uh, infinity war came out they had infinity gauntlet drink uh uh souvenir cups at the parks and i thought <laughs> okay that's a really freaking cool but the same token this is the this is the this is the infinity gauntlet that's now <laughs> serving <laughs> beverages so you know so but i get it and i think it was it was pretty cool but i think that I really, I'm really, really curious to see what they do with uh, Marvel Land in California Adventure. I think that's going to be the first tell as far as how they how they going to truly integrate this into the parks. I think uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout was a kind of an initial test run, but I think that was that was, and actually they pretty much said this is that they want to have something out there that was Marvel related, so they rushed that out the door so that they have some sort of integration with 
um, the Marvel property into their parks. So I'm not going to judge it based upon that, but I'm really curious what they're doing with Marvel Land and California Venture. How truly immersive is that going to be? Is it going to feel like a hodgepodge of like, oh, here's the Doctor Strange thing, and then here's the you know the Iron Man thing? You know, what I mean, I hope that there's some sort of continuity between every all the different attractions that makes them make sense. I'm sure they they will. I think it's going to, you know, I don't know if it's going to be, it probably will be more in line with Toy Story Land than Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, as far as from what I can predict. But I guess in your mind, what would be the, uh, what would you like to see come to Marvel Land? Well, what I would honestly, that's a really tough one. Uh, honestly, I, this is one of those areas that can be really touchy. Uh, I'll give you an example. What I think they did in uh, Islands of Venture, I thought was a very smart way of doing it, where it had this very comics feel to it, and that was it was super fun. Uh, so I really liked how they did it. I don't think that concept would work today. I would say if they can find a way where in one land, here's what I would like to see, in one land that they very quickly transition you into different worlds depending upon the attraction. I thought it would be would be a really interesting way to go about it. So you can, in, let's say, there's a Doctor Strange attraction. Okay, well then, you have the surrounding area of the Doctor Strange attraction to be somewhere in New York City. And then you see the, you know, the, the you know, basically the, the you know, Doctor Strange's building, right? So you can have that, and then you can walk a little distance, and then it slowly, it, it will quickly, but but it seems like it's still a transition into the jungles, you know, into Wakanda, and there's the Black Panther attraction. You see what I'm saying? So I think something along those lines would make sense instead of, so if they can, so that it's not just some sort of vanilla theming that's throughout and then you have the attractions that are built into it or the other way which is that they completely theme the entire area which can also be very tricky too depending upon what it is i would say the only other possibility would be if they did have it one theme but that one theme of that section also tells a story so almost like how the Avengers get together, right? And they do this big, gigantic battle. This is a story about, essentially, of of all the, you know, it's the is this a major story which each with each t- attraction telling a smaller version of that story or a part of that story, rather. Yeah, that would be that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I I honestly have no idea what's coming, and I am hoping it's it's like to your point, going to be very cleverly integrated. Um, and I'm sure it will be, there's just not enough details for us to know exactly what's going to going to be there. But, uh, you know, for sure, I think, uh, they're going to do something, something great with it. At least that's what, uh, we can hope. But the, um, the other piece of Marvel that I definitely wanted to get your take on, and this is probably the more, uh, debated part of the Marvel acquisition and Marvel, making its way into the parks is specifically with two beloved attractions. Um, those being tower of terror over at California adventure and that being changed to, uh, guardians of the galaxy mission breakout. And then the second one also in the same universe being, uh, the universe of energy, um, or Ellen's energy adventure being replaced by the guardians, also guardians of the galaxy attraction, um, both e-tickets, but you know, what are some of your thoughts as a Disney fan, as a Marvel fan, about those two changes 
Okay, so I'll start off with Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout because I've actually rode that attraction, and yeah. also the Tower Terror and California Adventure. Now, somebody who has rode both Tower Terrors in Disney uh, California Adventure as well as Hollywood Studios, for me, the one in California Adventure never really had a special place in my heart because the one in I've the one I rode first was in Hollywood Studios, and still to this day, I, as far as I'm concerned, is the best one. So for me, it just felt always second in my mind so when they announced that it would be replaced with mission breakout i said yeah that makes sense it's a great attraction but you know it's not it's not classic it's not iconic it wasn't one of the original attractions that was built with california venture so for me and and uh twilight zone you know is an ip is a very old ip that really doesn't have as much relevance so you know for me that just made yeah that makes sense i would say the execution I'm kind of halfway on. I would say uh, I think they did the best job that they could uh, with the outside of the building of making it look like, um, you know, part of Guardians of the Galaxy instead of Tower Terror. So I thought that they did a pretty good job with that. Um, I love the queue. I thought the queue was spot on. That actually is my favorite. That's my favorite to just for things to come. That's my favorite part of the whole ride is the <laughs> queue line because that was I thought that was done so so well. They have all these little Easter eggs of of different uh, Marvel films and things like that. That's where you know figments in there. So I think they did a spectacular job with that. Even the um, the pre show room um, where they have a rocket come out and things like that. It was just oh, it was so cool. Like I loved everything about that. I think they did that spot on. The actual ride itself to be honest, was a little disappointing and you can tell that it was really rushed through. They really, they really didn't do as much as they probably could have if they had a little bit more time to work with this to make a, a truly different ride out of it. it. To me, it just felt like, Oh, it's tower tower that you're happening to watch guardians of the galaxy at the same time. That's what it felt like. So to me, that was actually quite disappointing as far as that part of the execution was concerned, they, they could have done so much more with it if they, I think if they had the time to do it. And, yeah. uh, Oh, uh, do you want me to go on to, I uh, would. Gar- yeah. Guardians? Okay. So for that, okay. I also like universe of energy, but let's face it. It's so dated. It's ridiculously dated. So f- it was only, it was only a matter of time before something happened with that ride. So for them to change it to guardians of the galaxy, I'm actually really excited about it, but also really concerned for two main reasons. One, the reason why I'm excited for it is because I love the idea of this uh, roller coaster type attraction. I think that because of how much they're building from this is going to be so much better than Mission Breakout is in California Adventure. So I and even what I saw from the concept art of what they're looking for, the queue, I'm very, very, very excited as far as what this attraction is going to be like. However, I feel like this is also a very slippery slope for Epcot in general, because what does Guardians of the Galaxy have anything to do with edutainment? I have no idea. So for those reasons, I'm a little concerned about that. But at the same token, I don't know. Maybe they'll include in some way. I really liked I hope that when they were originally announced the idea, the uh, the ride coming out, they mentioned about the fact of, you know, what if Peter Quill visited Epcot back in the 80s? And I hope that's not just an afterthought of an excuse of why they're putting it into Epcot and that they actually are incorporating that into the attraction. If they do that, I think 
I, I would love that. I think that would be a really fun way for them to honor the attractions of Epcot in the past in a whole new way. Yeah, I think for me, the significant, I think that Guardians of the Galaxy coming to Epcot is significant, not just because it's the first roller coaster coming to the park and not just because they're adding an e-ticket to Epcot that I'm sure is going to draw in crowds and fans of Marvel and Disney, but it's significant in the sense that this is the first time that we really are seeing that shift in Epcot. And I do believe that its success is going to, because I do think it's going to be successful, is going to definitely transform the park. Because before this, the transformations were incremental and subtle. So the, uh, you know, El Rio del Tiempo being replaced by Grand Fiesta Tour. I mean, that's starting to incorporate some characters, not... Not everybody knows Ponchito as much as they know, you know, at least Donald Duck is in there. Um, and then he had, of course, the big one, uh, Maelstrom being replaced by Frozen Ever After. And still it's like, all right, it's not doesn't take place in Norway, but it's kind of Scandinavian culture. And sure, like that, that can that can fit there. And then even with France, adding in a Ratatouille attraction, everybody loves that idea because that definitely fits. And that attraction takes place in France. Everybody loves Pixar um, and loves Ratatouille. And then. There's Guardians of the Galaxy, which, like that, like you said, that's a much farther stretch. Like Peter Quill visited Epcot in the '80s, or he could have visited Epcot in the '80s. We're like, okay, we'll 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 keep telling ourselves that. I mean, in short, it could it could actually happen. But for me, this is just the significance of uh, Epcot really shifting. It's going from its original concept into something different. Um, it's too early to judge in my mind what that's what that's ultimately going to be. But um, that that to me at least. The, the fact behind it is I do think that's the shift um, is that one attraction. I agree. But I think they, and uh, again, I hope somebody in imag- Imagineering is listening to this. Uh, I really hope what they would end up doing is uh, at least in the queue. I think there's a lot of things they can do in the queue that can keep that essence of Epcot. Uh, not Definitely. the actual roller coaster itself, the attraction that that's just the thrill part of it, which is fine, but they have, some sort of, you know, for example, they could do things just, you know, right off the top of my head there. They could have, let's say, Rocket, because he builds things, you know, during the queue, you know, can you imagine Rocket talking about like certain aspects, like the basics of physics? You know, that would be cool. Like, you know, I mean, like they could incorporate those things while you're going through the queue because, you know, we've seen it with self. The, the universe of energy building is going to be the queue. That's not even the attraction. That's just the queue. So they can do a lot there where, as you're going through the queue, which you know is going to be ridiculously long, they can put the edutainment elements into there, where they can have you know the different Guardians of the Galaxy characters talking about energy and talking about you know all their different these different kinds of aspects. And if they're going to run with the whole Peter Quill visited in the '80s, then they can do a little service to us Epcot fans, especially of original tracks of Yore, where Peter Quill can make these little quips along the way of saying, like, you know, what's this mission space attraction being over here, not Horizons? You know, what I mean, like they, they can have so much <laughs> fun, uh, you know, or saying, like, you know, what, you know, why is this? Why, why we have this? You know, why are we driving in the car and it's not World, world of Motion? Or you know, they could take it to like such a fun uh degree you know uh on that ride or you know it's like or i went on spaceship earth and walter cronkite sounds really different than i remember him you know 
you know, they could do so much with with, uh, you know, especially with Chris Pratt's humor where they're going to have these little jabs as far as, you know, Epcot changing over the years since the 80s. And this is Peter, you know, this is Star Lord's essentially first time back to Epcot since it changed in the 80s. I think that would be such a fun way of, you know, of recognizing the things of the past. And it's a fun little thing for us to enjoy while we're in, in the queue. And then the same token, also keeping that as essence of edutainment while on the queue and using the characters of Guardians of the Galaxy to teach kids things like very basic things of science while they're on the on the line before they go on the attraction. That would definitely be a brilliant way to incorporate all of that. And that would make a lot of sense. And you're right. We'd almost relate to Peter Quill in that sense that, you know, he he remembers Epcot in a certain way and maybe he hasn't visited since. And you're right. That could be so cool. And I think there are definitely going to be I'm curious to see what they are. Easter eggs from at least the universe of energy. If even there's if there's a tagline for like energy, you make the world go round or something. That's just going to be awesome to see in person. <laughs> I uh, to be honest, one of the things I hope they keep on there is the clock in the begin in the in the front oh, when you I first love go that in. Clock, yeah, yeah. If they could just keep that clock there, you know, for what like integrate in some other way, that's fine. But if they can keep like a couple little things like that, that would make me really happy. That would. And maybe even they shift that to being the um, like the countdown for the pre-show or something. Exactly. If there is a pre-show, I mean, who who knows what they'll end up doing with that. But uh, at the same token, it would be so cool if they can incorporate like just these little elements, even if they may have some things of uh, I don't know what they're doing with all the uh, animatronics of the ride. But if they can incorporate one of the animatronics from the ride into it, you know, that would be kind of funny, too. It's like a little like another little uh, nod to the original attraction. I think that would be kind of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Um, so needless to say, Marvel, huge, there's huge implications. There's like, we could, again, speculate for hours about what could come to be, what is going to be coming to, to, uh, to Epcot and to all the other parks. But, uh, the, I wanted to make sure that the, and it's probably be the last thing we talk about and we could probably go for another couple hours. So we typically do, um, on every episode of the show, but, um, the acquisition of Fox, Um, And obviously, it's not everything's signed at this point. Uh, There's still some things that could potentially happen. But, um, you know, for you, what is the significance of Disney acquiring Fox? What do you expect to see? Um, You know, for me, even just the fact that they now technically own Avatar uh, with the whole success of uh, Pandora is kind of exciting. But, I mean, what, what do you... What do you think about that whole deal and and the possibilities that might come into play because of that? I wanted to see a movie where the Predator versus Iron Man. That's what I wanted. <laughs> all joking. of this, yeah, all of this IP <laughs> coming together. It's just there's so much. There, there is a ton. I, I'm I, actually. I know a lot of people were worried about Disney becoming more of a behemoth than it than it already is. But for me, actually, I'm really excited about at it because these uh, franchises that Fox has, I, I think some of them are. Uh, playing out its course, uh, especially franchises like the X-Men franchise, which is really dying down at this point in time, which had a really good run. I mean, it had a 18, 19 year, year run. So, I mean, I couldn't be happier for that. But I think that the X-Men franchise needs uh, another refresh at this point in time. And I couldn't think of a better way than having an interview with the MCU. So for those reasons, I'm ecstatic. I'm also really happy about Fantastic Four, which never had a good movie. So for me to see Fantastic Four being under Disney's roof uh, and also 
be a part, uh, potentially part of the MCU is also extremely exciting for me. As far as the non-Marvel elements that Fox has, I think it's really interesting. I think because uh, there's so many franchises that Fox has that we completely forgot about. Uh, the Alien franchise, the Predator franchise, uh, you know, there's there's so much there uh, that they could now work with, um, either revitalizing it or or even just simple things. Like, think about this, and it's so amazing that everything comes full circle because – you even mentioned it for yourself about Avatar. I mean, they built Pandora before, obviously, all this went down. Now, now that's now Avatar is going to be under their roof, so they can do lots of things with there. Maybe finally actually come out the sequels that James Cameron's working on, and then um, same thing's true with oh shoot, I forgot my train of thought. I'm sorry, uh, but in regards to um, oh Star Wars, duh. Star Wars, the one thing that they've always had a problem with was the original films, the original trilogy, and and the prequels, for that matter, because that's all distributed under 20th Century Fox. Now they're going to have those. No problem. Yeah, now it's not going to be a problem. So maybe we'll see some, you know, especially for the original trilogy, maybe we'll see uh, them not only come out on Blu-ray, but actually get the original versions on Blu-ray, finally, instead of just watching them on DVD. So, And they can also now make an entire whole set of it and saying, okay, here's, you know, one through nine. You know, so they can do lots of, you know, so for me as a Star Wars fan, I'm actually excited about that, too, that now that's not that's no longer going to be an issue. Yeah, I... I agree with all that. I, I think there's going to be so many new possibilities. I think it's even, you know, it's bigger than Marvel and Star Wars, um, or say Marvel and Lucasfilm, because this really, there's so much involved with the acquisition of Fox. I know that Disney has already announced they plan to use X-Men more, which is wonderful. Um, and there's there's a lot that they could do with the parks. I mean, there's just it's 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 almost even too much to even talk. We we need to do a whole episode to talk about it, um, and it's also too early to tell. But there's just um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be great for Disney, um, and especially with the new streaming service. There's going to be a lot. I'm sure that Fox can a lot of ways Fox can come into play there as well. Um, so we'll have which to I'm see also how very excited out. for, and I'm. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really glad about um, them acquiring Ring Fox and then hopefully incorporating it into their streaming service of some sort. And it's interesting because I think they're trying to keep their streaming service family friendly, but I'm, you know, with us all going through, that might actually change now. But I think this is a, a, a welcome uh, addition to streaming services. I think right now having uh, additional, uh, another competitor into the mix, I think uh, at this point in time is actually a good thing. I want to see how things shake out as far as that's concerned. It keeps everyone else on their toes because of it. And yeah, I know Disney has so, you know, has so much IP now that's underneath them, but I still think that at least personally that I don't think they have a stranglehold as far as content is concerned because there's so much out there. So, uh, I, I, I'm not so worried about them controlling too much, even with Fox. I'm just like, I just hope that, that with Disney having Fox that some of the franchises that Fox has, they're going to give some love to just like they did with Lucasfilm and Marvel and, and really, you know, get the right team together to really do it justice. Yeah, very true. And on that note, it's probably a good one to end this podcast episode on, and we could probably do even a part two of this, but, uh, easily. Yeah, easily. easily. But, uh, Mike, thank you so much as always for coming onto the show. And especially when it comes to topics like these, you're just a wealth of knowledge. So, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on our podcast. Thanks for having me. This is always a blast.
And with that, we close out episode 29 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you found this podcast episode to be a really interesting discussion of the Disney acquisitions and partnerships and even licensing agreements that have given Disney the ability to create new experiences for guests over the last 15, 20, 25 plus years of Disney history. And I want to thank Mike again for coming onto the show. I know it's been a while since we last heard from him, but he always has such a wealth of knowledge and so many great ideas to contribute when it comes to talking about all things Disney. But I want to turn the conversation over to you, who's listening out there. What Disney acquisition is your favorite and, or in your mind, the most impactful and significant for Disney? Because, of course, in today's episode, we talked about Pixar and Lucasfilm and Marvel as well as the future when it comes to acquiring Fox and those implications. So of those acquisitions, what in your mind, and even of those licensing agreements, uh, what in your mind has been the most impactful and significant? Which of the Disney Park experiences for you is the most meaningful that has come as a result of one of these partnerships? And also, what do you expect to see when it comes to the Fox merger and acquisition. I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and perhaps even share them on a future episode of the show. And there are a few ways that you can contribute your thoughts and opinions. One of those ways is to email me directly at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message on any of our social media platforms, which include Facebook and Instagram. We're there at Imagineer Podcast. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Imagineer Audio, or you can join our Facebook group, which I would certainly suggest you go ahead and join. You can request access by going to facebook.com and typing into your search bar, Imagineer Podcast, Disney Fan Community, or simply go to facebook.com slash Imagineer Podcast and click on the community tab, which will take you over to our closed Facebook group. And again, if you request access, I will grant you access to the group as soon as possible so you can leave your feedback regarding this or any other episode in any of those forums. Of course, there are so many ways that you can do so. And I want to thank those of you, as always, who are out there contributing to the show, contributing your thoughts and opinions. I absolutely love starting those conversations with you and uh, continuing the conversation from some of our podcast episodes. And the same thing goes for any questions you might have about vacationing to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or any questions you have about the movies or thoughts or opinions, things you want to see us discuss in a future episode of the show. I'm getting close to the point where I may end up doing a listener feedback episode and would certainly recommend that if you have any other questions to please do send them in through any of those channels on social media or through email. And I would love to address some of those questions, share some tips and insights again in a future listener feedback episode, which is hopefully to come in the near future. And of course, if you don't already subscribe to the Imagineer podcast, there are so many places that you can follow us on different social media and podcast channels, which include iTunes and Spotify, Podbean, the Google Music Store, and Stitcher. There are, again, all those social or all those podcast channels for you. So no matter what your favorite podcast medium is, you can subscribe to us there. And I hope you've taken the time to subscribe to us. And also, if you have any Disney friends who love all things Disney and who you may think love this podcast, please be sure to share it with them. There are so many ways to share this podcast episode or any podcast episode for that matter from the Imagine Your Podcast. So I thank those of you who have gone out there 
and I see you every day. Uh, special thanks as always to uh, Jessica and Jeanette and Rob and Ashley. I know you're listening out there and I see you always sharing out the new podcast episodes. So any of you out there who are listening, who have friends who might have enjoyed this particular discussion or other podcast episodes, please do share this out with them. Whether you share this link to this particular episode, your favorite episode from the past, or just the podcast in general, through any of your preferred channels to share out this podcast. And if you love the show, one of the best things you can do for us besides share out the podcast is leave us a rating and review in the iTunes store. That does do a tremendous effort for us in helping us to grow our podcast and let iTunes know that we have a a lot of Disney friends out there who enjoy listening to this show. So if you take five seconds to rate the podcast in iTunes and even 30 to 60 seconds to leave us a review, I would love to read your review in a future episode of the show and would, of course, just appreciate you taking the time to rate and review us. And lastly, if there's anything that I can do to help make this show and this community a better place for you, I would love to do so. So please feel free to reach out to me again via email or via direct message or even via public message. Let me know what else you would like to see through the Imagineer podcast, and I will do everything I can to make that dream a reality. And speaking of making dreams a reality, as I always like to close out every episode of this show, I want to remind you that if you know it's never too late to make your own dreams come true, I hope you're doing everything you can out there to make those dreams come true, to create happiness for yourself and for others, and to share your passion for Disney or anything else that you are passionate about. Remember, as always, that quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. And we'll see you in a future episode of the Imagineer podcast. Thank <laughs> you.